0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. How are we this morning? I saw a video of myself earlier this week, and I looked old. Honestly, from my heart to yours... Sad. Now, my wife tells me, and my kids insist, my wife tells me, keep your finger on the text and remember the topic. She says, I don't preach very often, and I have a tendency to roll four messages into one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry already in advance, okay? My kids tell me, please, they've been a pastor's kid for a long time. So they said, please, don't use me as illustrations. (laughs) And that's fair game. But your kids, I'm going to talk about our grandkids. (laughs) There's nothing you can do to stop me doing that. We're in John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn on to them, turn into John chapter 17. We're going to be concentrating on one verse today. I have one primary objective today, and that is to change your posture, to change your position to change your physical proximity and to have a positive encounter with the living Lord. You're going to have to do something today, though. You will have to change. You'll have to change your physical posture, your bodily existence in reference to an encounter with God Almighty. This is my heart to you today. I'm going to have one point in John chapter 17 and three illustrations. I'm going to try to keep myself within a limited structure. I will not be a Puritan, and I'll talk more about him, them, later. But the Puritans would use 50% of their sermon for exposition and another 50% for application. And so we're going to concentrate our efforts in John chapter 17 this morning. And hopefully I will ignite one of these flames that we declared to be of the very essence of who we are. So, may you learn today to pray like Jesus. To pray with Jesus. Now this is absolutely astounding in the context of chapters 14 through 16 in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the promise to abide, to remain, to continue within you. The role and ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make you a vine in the vineyard and to grow fruit in your life. And you are to ask in prayer. You're to seek. You're to knock. You'll receive. Can your faith lay hold of that this morning? Believe is one of John's favorite words. Light is one of John's favorite words. Life is a word that he uses over and over as he builds a high Christology, a logos that is unique to John's gospel as opposed to the synoptics. This gospel shows not only life and light, But he declares himself to be God incarnate. He is God with a face. He comes to this earth and he transforms us by the power of his spirit. Under his authority, we completely trust in him. You see, John was the beloved disciple. He was the one that got close to him. He leaned on him. He heard. He listened. He was also the only apostle that was not martyred. it's said of him as he was 90 plus years old, they tried to martyr him, but he wouldn't burn. And as he survived Patmos, they took him to church, wheeled him in, carried him in, and all he said was, children, love one another. This is the one who shows us his heart. Fisherman by trade, apostle by call, entrusted with the mother of Jesus. Part of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, these three knew Christ's best. What do you think? Wouldn't it be wild to walk with Jesus, to talk with him, to be with him, to listen to his teaching? Wouldn't it have been incredible to spend three years as his follower? Well, in John chapter 17, we learn about what exactly is being prayed for. What does it mean to pray in faith? Do you realize this morning Jesus has and is praying for you? Now let that sink in just a moment. Not only is he praying for you, his prayers are answered. Jesus is the intercessor of intercessors. And some of you today are called not only to the application in this text in a missionary context, but you're called to intercede. In the quietness of solitude, you come before the Lord. You make known what his will is. Oh, in this text, in this context, there's revelation given to the disciples. There's prayer for the disciples. There's the son's consecration. There's the prayer for the church, for its unity, for it to come into all that God has for. There's the prayer of the glorified church of the future. And then there's praying in, praying down, praying for the glory of God. If we need anything in our lives today, it is a fresh introduction and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need an encounter that will transform who we are and where we are and what we are. God had only one son, and he was a missionary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but might have everlasting life. One scholar calls the Gospel of John a brief introduction to Christ and a passion narrative. That's what it's about. The final prayer of Jesus may have taken place in the Garden of Gethsemane, may have taken place in the upper room. It might even have taken place in the temple. I like what Calvin Miller once said, the last song may not be the best, but it is the last one. The finale brings things to a conclusion. There's a prayer of submission to the Father as Jesus brings glory to God. And the disciples are encouraged and strengthened because they are distinct from the world. There's a markation. And so I'm going to move in just a moment out of an analysis of the flow of the text where mission is accomplished. Jesus declares these words, sanctify them by, in, with, under thy truth. Your word is truth. And so I concentrate my efforts this morning on the word of God that will keep us from the evil one. This triad of believe, love, and trust, this idea of sanctification means to be set apart. You're holy. You're consecrated, which means I'm dedicated for the use of one Lord and Savior. It's a prayer for unity, a prayer for sanctification, and a prayer for the church. You can all go buy the books, and I recommend that you do. And so I'll give you four resources right off the bat. Go out. I was going to say, uh, just buy them and read them and believe them, okay? First is my friend D.A. Carson, his gospel according to Christ, according to Jesus. Fabulous resource. Second is, I had to take a minute just today because I've never said the, Ru- the name Rudolf Schnackenberg before. Okay? So you might want to pick that uh, resource up. The other is a very famous book by uh, Marcus Rainsford. It's kind of a classic. It's called Our Lord Prays for His Own. But if you're anything like me, you prefer books like this. Max Lucado. He's so easy to read. Look what he says here on page four. Jesus prayed before he ate. He prayed for children. He prayed for the sick. He prayed with tears. He had made the planets and shaped the stars, yet he prayed. He is the Lord of angels and commanders of heavenly hosts, yet he prayed. He's co-equal with God, the exact representation of the Holy One, and yet he devoted himself to prayer. He prayed in the desert, in the cemetery, in the garden. He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And my question to you is if Jesus needed to pray, don't you think we do? We need to get alone. Jesus rose up a great deal before dawn and went to a solitary place and prayed. He sets for us an example of prayer. Meet the Moravians. We're going to talk about some serious God-seekers here just for a moment. I'm sure most of you remember January 9th, 2022, Steve Nicholson came to the church and he quoted a brief paragraph of what took place in Moravia, southern Germany. Well, we have some names that we can attach to them and they are, first a great name, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Sounds a little German. All Nicholas there and his bust. He was the patron. He was the benefactor. And people from all around that area of Germany gathered spontaneously. Do you have the one with the picture of the buildings? That was called Hernhut. And these Germans were known as Hutterites. And if you come from northern Wisconsin like I do, you have a hard time separating the Hutterites from the Amish, from the Mennonites. But the Moravians were under the direction primarily of a man named Jacob Philip Spainer. And this man who wrote pious desires began to lead people into a direct encounter with the Lord. There's a straight line from pietists to evangelicals through Methodists to the Great Awakening here in America. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I would like to say the 1700s probably formed the foundation of what later became the modern missionary movement. Zinzendorf was the leader of what became known as the Church of the Brethren. They have close associations with our folks down here at North Park in the Swedish Mission. And John is the son of a Wesleyan pastor, is that right? Or your dad had pastored a Wesleyan church for many years. I'm going to talk more about John Wesleyan in just a moment. Established in 1722. We're talking 300 years ago. The story is told of two missionaries. Go ahead with uh, their faces. Dobler and Nitschman. Dobler and Nitschman were supposedly the first missionaries sent out from hernut Now I'll let you dig into all the details. But they wanted to go to St. Kitts so badly to minister to the burgeoning population of slaves and their overseers forbade them. And so finally they said, we will sell ourselves into slavery so that we can go and minister to slaves. Slaves Becoming slaves to reach slaves. Now the story is told that as the ship passed away, you could hear them saying loudly at first, and then it drew more and more quiet as they sailed away. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive the reward of his suffering. Would to God that we had more people like that today. Now, there's a little bit of lore in there as well. And like I said, I'll allow you to separate that. But out of her hut came not only missionaries, but came an experience that was known as the 100 year prayer meeting. 24 men and 24 women signed up in 12 one hour shifts and they began around the clock prayer and this prayer meeting lasted 100 years. Now they put us to shame. They became known as missionaries of the one way ticket. I love this. You know why it was one way? Because they knew they weren't coming back. That's right. This this slays me, early Pentecostal missionaries did this as well, they literally took their coffin with them and they packed it with all the vital necessities that they would need on the mission field. They were not planning on ever returning. They were called missionaries of the one-way ticket. I'm going and where I go they will bury me. Now, Livingston's heart is buried in Zambia, isn't it, Lewis? Yeah, I don't know where the rest of his body is. But these missionaries, Livingston and William Carey and Hudson Taylor, all of these greats in the mission outreach were fabulous for communicating the gospel with passion and with a desire to see the glory of God. Let me give you just a quote from, uh, from um, an, a Moravian historian. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit, promised the prophet Joel. The first fulfillment of this promise was on the day of Pentecost. There's nothing in the New Testament that, to indicate that this was the one and only fulfillment of the promise. On the contrary. We read in the book of Acts how many outpourings of the Holy Spirit came in Samaria, chapter 8, Ephesus, chapter 19, even the Gentiles, chapter 10, church history also abounds in records of special outpourings of the Holy Ghost, and verily the 13th of August, 1727, was a day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw the hand of God in His works, and we were all under the cloud of our Father's baptized with their spirit, the Holy Ghost came upon us. And in those days, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. From the time, scarcely a day passed, but what we beheld is mighty works and workings among us. A great hunger after the word of God took possession of us so that we had to have three services a day starting at 5 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning, and then nine o'clock at night. I like this next line. They left the house of God that noon, hardly knowing whether they belonged to earth or had already gone to heaven. I want to say to Thrive Vineyard Church, we've been experiencing refreshment. We've been experiencing a touch of God's glory and his grace, but he wants to give us more. We need to change our posture to receive that. The next story I'd like to recount to you, and I just have two, so bear with me. I have two more stories. This is a brief reflection of what happened with an encounter with these guys, the Moravians. It was a young man who studied at Oxford University and he became very proficient in Greek and Latin. He was a little big guy, very short. He's five foot three, weighed 130 pounds. His name was John Wesley. And Wesley had questions and struggles. He was anxious about what he was doing. He came here to America. He crossed the Atlantic in the 1700s and he went down south into Georgia where there was a plantation. And he, whether it was on the way to Georgia or the way back home, they encountered an incredible storm. And the Moravians were on board and they were singing songs. They were worshiping the Lord. And John couldn't quite figure out how and why this was happening. How could they sing songs like this? And then as he returned home, and I, I won't tell you all the details of his, his trek to America, but he said, oh, I went to America to save the savages, but who will save me? So he hadn't yet had a personal experience with the Lord. That came later when he was invited to a prayer meeting on Aldersgate Street. I love this story. Uh, He went to this prayer meeting, and they were reading, word for word, Martin Luther's preface to Romans. And as he just came in, and listen to how God works transformation in the human heart through a righteousness that is by faith, these are his words. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to society at Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. What an incredible account for a man who grew a group of men. There were four of them. John, his brother Chuck, who was the big songwriter. He wrote many of the hymns that we sing. There was this Calvinist. They let a Calvinist into their prayer meeting. Can you imagine? His name was George Whitfield. You've probably heard of him, the famous orator. And then they had another John uh, to square things off, uh, Jonathan Fletcher. These were the first four members of the holy club, and they didn't think that was derisive enough, so they called them Methodist. Well, there are a lot of details I could share about John Wesley as well, but I won't. But he was an incredible, incredible organizer. Carly, he'd make you look, well, he was very organized. <laughs> very strategic in his outri- outreach. He coined the phrase, "agree to disagree. Did you know that? (laughs) Agree to disagree. He also preached 40,000 sermons. He traveled 250,000 miles. That's two times around our globe, mostly on horseback when he wasn't walking. His sermons comprised 32 volumes. His holy club grew from 40 to 72,000 in his lifetime. I love this saying, that, and I'm, I'm going to wrap things up here real soon. I promise. I love this saying that uh, here in America on the frontier, the Presbyterians were trying to win converts, but the farther west they went, those Methodists had already been there and planted churches with their circuit-riding preachers. I like this. You probably saw it on Facebook recently. This is a page from Wesley's diary. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's. We asked, we were asked not to come back. <laughs> Sunday night, May 5th, preached at St. John's. The deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, I preached at St. Jude's. Uh, can't go back there. Sunday P.M., May 12th, preached at St. George's, kicked out again. Sunday a.m., May 17th, I preached at St. Somebody Else's. The deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, May 19th, I preached on the street, kicked off. Sunday, May 26th, I preached in a meadow. I was chased out of the meadow by a bull that was turned loose during my preaching. Sunday, June 2nd, Preached out at the edge of the town. They drove me off the highway. Sunday, June 2nd, afternoon service. I preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came to hear me. That's kind of a bad month, but it ended well. (laughs) I'm going to ask Sarah if you wouldn't mind coming back up and uh, choose whatever you feel is appropriate. As we prepare to conclude the service, I want to say each of these men, great men, substantial individuals, it's just cool to say Zinzendorf, not to be confused with Tischendorf, But whether there are people who early on encountered God in a way that we have become accustomed, that's history. That's all prelude to where we are today. And I really mean when I say I have an appreciation for, I do. I'm, I'm challenged by People like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and these these pioneers, but each one of them had feet of clay. And they were just like you and me, and God chose to use them sovereignly. He selected them, and He knows. Thrive Vineyard Church needs and that's you at a strategic place and time would you stand together with me for a moment before we officially call up the prayer team and we wait for a few moments to see what the Lord might speak to us prophetically through those who have been listening to the voice of the spirit in this service I would like to invite you to do just what I asked to change your posture. And for some of you that's going to mean just bowing down. Maybe just bowing your head. For some it may mean kneeling. For some it could be standing and just looking into the glory of God for others it might be coming to the altar. Whatever it is, don't stop. Because physical proximity draws us close to what the Lord has for us individually. And so I'm going to pray, Father, sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. You always have been and ever shall be. God, I pray that you would stir within us a passion a desire to go anywhere, to do anything, to stand for your gospel, Monday through Friday, each day of the week. May I pray, Lord, you direct us by your Holy Spirit. Whatever gesture we make now, God, hear us. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Do what only you can, we pray. In Jesus' name.